0: Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So glad to see James back with us. Y'all continue to pray for him as he's continuing to recuperate. Pray for Keisha as she's continuing to try to have patience. Let's pray. Father, we are so very thankful, Lord, that we're able to be in your house this morning. God, I am so thankful that that you are holy. I'm so thankful that you love us. And while we were yet sinners, Lord, you still died for us. God, that, that never needs to cease to blow our minds, how loving and merciful and gracious you are. And so, Father, I pray that this morning as we open your word and we listen to the very words of God Lord that you would speak to us that you would open our hearts and our minds and our understanding Lord may it be nothing that I say but Lord everything that your Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts this morning and God I pray that if there's people here that need to be saved that today would be the day if there's people here that need to join this body and and go on this mission with us Father I, I pray that today would be that day Lord, just help us in all the things that we do to give you the glory and the honor and the praise and the worship that you're due. First in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. As we, as we continue through the book of, of 1 Corinthians, um, one of the things that Jared said this morning so in Sunday school kind of kind of hit me. Um, and, and we were talking about arrogance. And, and as you remember, last week we talked about how the, the church in Corinth, in, in chapter 4, was very fractured. It, it was very broken. Um, they had a lot of troubles. They had a lot of problems in that church. And and a lot of it was, if you boil it down to the root cause, it was all arrogance. It was pride. Um, there were people that, that were pla- that were going for this group or going for that group because they thought this group was better or this group was smarter, this group was had better information, whatever. And this morning... We're going to see how that arrogance kind of festers and grows and, and just overflows and, and it causes even more problems. And and let me let me kind of give you the, the backdrop of what's going on with this and then we're going to read um, the whole chapter and, and, and hopefully, God willing, we'll get through this this morning. Um, but the situation was that that there was a man in the church in Corinth who was having a sexual relationship with his stepmom and... In, in the Roman culture, in the Corinthian city um, specifically, that was not only unheard of, it was actually against the law. It was They could put you in jail for that, and no one in the overall community was doing that. That, that just was was completely anathema to anything that they would even begin to, to think about. And it was happening in the church. And it wasn't a secretive thing. Everybody in the ch- church knew that it was going on, and they had actually went to the man and brought this this sin before him, and he basically was saying, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's arrogance, folks. That's pride. It's I don't care what Scripture says. I don't care what God's Word says. I'm going to live my life my way. That's the ultimate, that if you want to boil down what is arrogance, that's what it is. And that's what was going on. And what should have happened is that this church should have ex- should have, gone through a process of church discipline with this man and, and with this lady and should have stopped it, but they didn't. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'll be 48 in just a couple of months, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon ever on church discipline. Even though it's all through scripture, it's something biblical that we need to do, it, it's, it's, there's reasons for it. Um, I just don't know that I've ever heard anybody preach on church discipline because that's a good way to get your pastor fired. And so I'm going to roll the dice and see if you guys fire me this morning, I guess, because we're going to talk about it. Um, So if you will stand with me, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to go through this and unpack what what Paul is saying here to us. He says, it is actually reported. (laughs) And the reason he's saying actually is like, this blows my mind, folks. But this is what's actually being reported to me. That's, that's kind of what he's saying. It's actually reported that there is immorality. And that word immorality is the word pornea, the word that we get the root word for pornogra- pornography from, that there is immorality among you. And immorality such, as, such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, those outside the church, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and you have not mourned. Instead, so that the one who, who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, I have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one over to Satan. For the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Again, we're back to this arrogance. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the entire lump of dough? Clean out the old lump, excuse me, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ our Passover has been sac- sacrificed. Therefore, let us sac- celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with un- the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or swindlers, or with the idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. You may be seated. Before I actually start digging in verse by verse like we typically do, um, I want to just kind of lay the the framework, lay the foundation. The church, the word church, the word ecclesia if you want to use the biblical word, the the Greek word, the word ek means out of. Kaleo, which is where we get the klesia part, uh, means called. So the ecclesia, the church, is the called out body of believers. It's not this physical building, It's not even this entire group, maybe. It's those who are part of the family of God. And Jesus died for those people, every one of them. And his blood is being poured over them and is causing them to be saved and to be sanctified and to ultimately be brought into his glorious kingdom. And because Jesus loves the church and because he has died for the church, he wants the church to be pure, and he wants the church to be holy, and he wants the church to be righteous. And in, in our day and time, um, people take, take passages like Matthew chapter 7 where it says, do not judge lest you be judged. And they take that verse and they completely take it out of context, and, and they, they want to twist it to say that ultimately what that means is anything and everything goes. That we, we just have to be complicit in everything. Everything. If, if anything is sinful, you can't call it sinful because then that makes you a judger. It makes you someone who is judging another person. And what Paul is saying here is that judgment is not only okay, it is absolutely required within the church. Now, outside of the church, we're exactly correct. We have no business judging and, and that's what he's going to go on to explain here in a minute. But, but there's a very different, there's a very good distinction between the ecclesia, the church, not all of the people, not the building, but the believers, the people who say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I stand on what God's word says. I am going to commit my life and ultimately my eternity to this word. That's what a believer is. And if a person is standing upon that foundation then they have every, we have every responsibility to judge them. But, it, but here's the important part. It's not a judgment that is that's supposed to be critical or that is for the purpose of pulling them out of, of the church or out of the body or out of the kingdom of God or anything like that. The purpose of judgment is always redemptive. That's the purpose. That's why we have church discipline. And, and there's, there's really two reasons, there's, and I'm going to unfold this in just a moment, but there's two, two reasons, it's twofold why we have church discipline. One is so that the church can be made more and more and more and more pure and more and more and more and more holy. Because ultimately, if you read the end of Ephesians, we're, we're the bride of Christ. We're supposed to be made into the image of our Savior. We're to be, he is going to be getting out the wrinkles and the spots and the blemishes out of our lives. That is most easily done when we practice godly, biblical church discipline. The second reason that that church discipline is important, and I think this is probably the the most important one, is because as we talk about evangelism and outreach and those kind of things, if the community looks at Rice's Creek, let's just use this as an example, If, if the community looks at Rice's Creek and they say, that man is sleeping with his stepmom and that guy's cheating on his taxes. And, and that lady is, is um, you know, she, she's doing things that she shouldn't be doing. She's a perpetual liar. Why would I want to join that group because they're just like us? Why, why, why would I go in and commit my Sunday mornings when I can be out on the lake or fishing or hunting or, or going to the ball game or doing whatever I wanted to do Sleeping in, why would I take that time and go sit in a boring service where I gotta stand up and sit down, stand up and sit down, sing songs, listen to a guy talk? Why would I do that? Because you guys are just like me. And you're just like all the people that hang around my water cooler at work. So if there's no difference, what's the point? That's our issue, that's, that's why the church is is falling today. And I don't, I'm not talking about righteous, I'm talking about the church universal, the, the, ball, the called out body of believers. That's why we're not making an impact, is because we're not holding each other accountable and we're not saying I see sin in your life, let me help you walk through that, let me help you come back to God, let me help you get that junk out of your life so that we are pure and so that we are righteous and so that we are holy, so that there's a distinction between us and the world, and that's why the church is falling. So let's, let's start going through this. In verse 1, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and a, an immorality of such a kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles. Do you see what he's saying? He says, you guys are messing up even worse than the world. You're saying that you're a blood-bought uh, person, a uh, child of God. You say that he is your Lord, and that you're his servant, and yet you're more wicked than the world. How is that even possible, is what Paul's saying. So the, the first issue is there's gross immorality in the Corinthian church. And, and we, if you look over at verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with immoral people. So he, this is This is public knowledge. Remember, 1 Corinthians is not the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. There was four. We talked about that a few weeks ago. This is actually the second one. We don't have the first letter, and apparently it wasn't canonical or it would be part of our Bibles, but Paul had already written to them, and in that previous letter he had written, you need to stop associating with people like this man who is having a sexual relationship with his stepmom. You can't do that. That's not who we are. And so... It was obvious that this had already come to to everyone's attention, it was was public knowledge for everyone that this was going on, and that there's gross immorality in that church, and and folks, that just cannot happen. We can't have that, um, for all the reasons I've already said. The second one, if you'll flip back with me to, to Matthew chapter 18, because we can't talk about church discipline without going through the passage in Matthew chapter 18, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, we're given exactly how we are to do church discipline. So in verses 15 through seven, 17, it says, if your brother, so again, this is not the world. You know what sinners do? Sinners sin. That's what comes natural to them. That, they're, they're just living out their natural life. So if, if they're a sinner, if they're outside of the body of Christ, if, if they are a child of Satan, and we need to be very black and white, this is what we, have, what we have. We have children of God, and we have children of Satan. And there is nothing in between. So if your brother, so this is talking about another child of God, so this is your brother or sister in Christ. So if your brother sins, you need to go to him, and you need to show him his fault. How? In private. In private. This is not something that we're going to broadcast to the whole universe. We're going to go to this person, and we're going to tell him, hey, I see that you're doing X. Are you doing Y? Why are we to do that? Why is it supposed to be that way? If you look over in Galatians chapter 6, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Scripture says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. See, so here's, here's the issue. Every one of us are broken, all of us. Every one of us still have a, a part of us that's carnal and that wants to sin, that wants to run away from God. God's fixing that, thanks thank the Lord. He's fixing that. He's correcting that. He's making us more into the image of his son, but that's still part of us. And there's a part of us that says, I just want to do it my way. That's that arrogance. I just want to do what I want to do. He's supposed to be my Lord. I'm supposed to be his slave, but I want to flip it upside down. I want to run my life. I want to decide when and where and how I live the way I live. And and so because of that, because that's still inside of every one of us, if we see a brother or a sister sinning, then we go to them privately and we say, Look, I see that you're doing this. Let's Let's just use lying. I see that every time you open your mouth, there's a lie that comes out. I, don't, I personally don't want to fall into that trap and I don't want to become a liar myself. I don't want to be the way that you're being, but I don't want you to be that way either. And so I want to help you. I want to walk beside you. It's all restorative. That is the primary position and, and reason for church discipline is because we as a body need to be united and we can't be united if this person has this pet sin and this person has this pet sin and this person has this pet sin. We have to be united in holiness and in righteousness. He has to be the Lord of all of us and all of us have to be his servants. And so the purpose that we're supposed to do is we're to, we to go first of all to that person privately and we try to restore them. Nobody needs to know. It's not something for public dissemination. I'm not going to try to embarrass him Because I know he's dealing with a sin. He's just like I am. He's frail just like I am. Or she's just like I am. And and we all have this bent towards sin. It's going to be be with us until we breathe our last breath. But all of us have this issue. So it says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, you've won your brother. That's the goal. I hope that we can always stop there. We never have to go another step. Because that's the goal. And remember, part of being a child of God, they ask ask the disciples, they ask the apostles, how must we be saved? You must repent and you must believe. And see, where so so many people get things all mixed up is they say, okay, I'm going to come down and I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from my sinfulness. I'm going to believe everything that Jesus says. I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to do all the stuff that I'm supposed to do. And now I'm in the group. Now I'm saved. Now I've got my my get out of hell free card. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm going to heaven. I'm good. And so then for the rest of my life, I can just live any way I want to. That is not at all what the Bible says about repentance. We should repent that initial time, but then we should repent over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because I keep sinning. And i got to get this mess out of my life. And so what we're supposed to do, it says here, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. And if he listens to you, in other words, if he repents, then you've won back your brother. And you've got rid of that sin in his life. Now we're, we're more in the image of God than we were before. That's the goal. Verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, in other words, if he doesn't repent... What is that? That's arrogance. He's putting himself above you. He's putting himself above God. He's saying, I don't want to hear it. I like my sin. I like doing the things that I do. That's ultimately what he's saying. He says, but if he does not listen to you, now take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Again, the purpose is restorative. We're going to try and win this brother or sister back to God. We're going to try to get this, this sin out of his life. If I can't convince him by myself or her by herself by myself, then I'm going to take somebody with me. And maybe they will know the words. Maybe they've been through that. Maybe they have had have had to deal with lying or stealing or whatever it was. And so they can speak truth into that into that situation. Verse 7 17. If he refuses to listen to them, now you tell it to the church. When we go back to 1 Corinthians, that's where these folks were. Somebody found out that this guy was having a relationship with his stepmom and went to him and did it correctly. And he says, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so then they went back and brought two or three more with them. He says, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And now they brought it to the church, and it's gotten to the point where even Paul, who's not even in Corinth, he's found out about this. Remember what it says. It's it's actually being reported that there's this sexual immorality going on among you and and the whole world knows about it. Not just inside the church, but even the community at large has found out what's going on here. This is public knowledge. Everybody knows about this. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You know who wrote those words? Matthew. You know what Matthew was? tax collector. If anybody understood what this means, it's Matthew. Matthew was a man who had been hired by the Romans to go and essentially extort money from his own people so that he could get rich. And he knew the hatred and the animosity that all the Israelites had towards him. He understood that. And when, when Matthew writes this, if, if somebody, if you go to them privately and they don't repent, and then you take some folks with you and they still don't repent, and you bring them before the church and they still don't repent, you need to put them outside the church. Why? Because they cannot affect everybody else. It's this whole idea of leaven. Any of you who have ever made any kind of, any kind of uh, bread with yeast and understand what this is talking about? Let me go back to First Corinthians chapter 5 again. Verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? In other words, if if Johnny is in the church and he's doing it, then you can't tell me I can't do it because all I can say is, look at him, he's doing it. So now it's not just going to be Johnny, it's going to be Johnny and me. We're both going to be sinning in the same way. And then the next person comes along and they'll say, well, well, Johnny's doing it and, and Jamie's doing it. I can do it too. And it just grows and grows and grows and it festers and eventually the whole church is corrupt and the whole church is, is useless and worthless in God's eyes. And then we get to that church that we talked about last week in Revelation chapter 3 where you're neither hot nor you're cold. You're coming in, you're doing the stuff, you're going out in the community, you're having your thrift stores and you're, 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 you're putting these things on people's doors but you're just as cold as you can be. And Jesus says, I just want to vomit you out of my mouth because you're not hot, you're not cold, you're just somewhere in the middle. You can't be that way. Scripture gives us a prescription for exactly how we're to deal with sin in the body. And it means that we have to judge one another. Not in a vindictive way, not in a way where it's, it's, I'm going to accuse you. It's, let me put my arm around you. Let me explain to you what I see in your life. Let me me show you the pitfalls that I can see that maybe you can't see. And I want to restore you to become everything that God has called you to be. If we will do that, church, if we will do that, then this church can get stronger and stronger and stronger and more and more and more holy. And the world's going to look at us and they're going to say, those people are weird. But they're weird in a good way, and I want to go find out what's weird about them. I want to go be part of them. I want to come in and figure out what in the world are they doing. They're loving on each other, and they're, they're, they're supporting one another. They're lifting one another up. And when somebody has a problem, if it's a spiritual problem that they're coming alongside of, they're not, they're not accusing them or condemning them or, or immediately casting them out. What they're doing is they're lifting them up and bringing them gently back to the Savior but they're doing it in such a way where they're not gonna be tempted and fall either. Church, that's what the picture is of true church discipline. And we've got an obligation to do that. Look at verse three for just a moment. Remember, Paul's not even here. He's simply writing them a letter. He says, for my, on my part, even though I'm absent in the body, so I'm not physically with you, but I'm with you in spirit. I have already judged him who has so committed this that though I were present, as, as though I were present, and then look at what he says in verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus, in other words, on the highest grounds, on the, on the ultimate standard that we could ever have, on that standard, when you are assembled, this is public. It starts out private. It gets a little less private. And now when you're, you're bringing the person before the church, now it's before everybody. You do it when you're assembled. It says, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan. I'm going to tell you what, folks, that's a scary verse. It really is. And and, and this is not the only place that Paul talks about this. There's other passages where he says he's handed people over to, to Satan. The thing that, that's the scariest about that is, is that there's no, there's no limits. When you're under the power of, of demons and you're under the power of Satan himself, he can, he can fix you. He, he, can, he can work on you. Let's say it that way. But there's a couple things that we need to understand about that. Number one, even though he's being handed over to Satan, who's Satan's boss? God. There is nothing that Satan can do to anybody that he didn't have to first get permission from Jesus to do it. So understand that. That this, even though he's being, this man is being handed over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, what does that mean? It means he's he may get AIDS, he may get some sort of STD. I don't know what was going on. But his his flesh was going to be de- de- deteriorated because of this. And Satan was going to affect him because of the sin in his life. And, and Paul says, I'm just going to hand him over to Satan to let Satan do what he wants to do, but it's still all under the umbrella of, of our omniscient, omnipotent, all-loving God. Look at the rest of the verse. For the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Even those folks that we ultimately have to put out of the church because they will not repent, the whole purpose is always redemptive, always That's the whole purpose of this. We're not sending them out because we hate them. We're sending them out because we love them and we don't want them to spend eternity in hell. And and so if their body has to be destroyed so that their soul can be saved, is it worth it? Absolutely it is. That's the whole point of this, is that the, the purpose of this is twofold, as I said before. For the church, the church must get more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. We must be made more in his image every day. And so the whole purpose that we're trying to do through church discipline is we're trying to restore these people. We're trying to bring them back to repentance so that they understand, they confess, which means they agree with God that what they're doing is wrong. And so because of that, because they've confessed it, they've agreed with it, now we're going to turn from it and we're saying we're never going to do it again. Now will they? Maybe? I don't know. If they do, they need to repent all over again. Because this is not a... This is a marathon that we're going through. And and we're constantly going to have to repent of things that we do against God. Now, should we try not to? Absolutely. We should try to never sin, but we're going to, and God knows that. He doesn't doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He says, I want you to bring it to me. I want you to confess it. I want you to agree with me that you're sinning and that 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 sin ultimately costs Jesus his precious blood on the cross. But once you do that... Don't do it anymore. Think about the lady that was that he was riding in the, in the sand. Jesus forgave her, but he didn't say, okay, you're forgiven, now go do whatever you want to. Go hop back in the sack with that guy. He didn't say that. You know what he said? Go and sin no more. We, we don't hear this in churches near enough. Sin is, is dangerous. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. This man that was being handed over to Satan for the destruction of his body, if his body is destroyed, I'm sorry, but he ends up dying. That's what happens. And we need to understand that we've got, we all have little secret sins and things that we do that we think nobody's ever going to know. God knows. And that sin that's sick, secret and hidden is just as dangerous and just as deadly as something that's out in the open. And so we as the body of Christ need to be getting this sin out of our lives. We need to be confessing it to one another. And we need to be walking with each other to prop each other up to get this stuff out of us. But then for the world, those who even ultimately go to the very end and have to be excommunicated from the church because of this sin that they will not repent from, the whole purpose for them too is so that their body, their souls, would not be destroyed when Jesus comes back. That they would ultimately, it's just like the... the um, the the prodigal son, he ends up at the absolute bottom wanting to eat the mess that the pigs are eating. And and it's not until he gets all the way down there that he realizes, folks that are living with my dad, they've got a whole lot better. And sometimes in our lives, we have to be handed over to Satan so that we get to the absolute bottom where there's no way that we can look but up. And that's the point that God's bringing us to, that he's bringing us back to himself. And, and I know that it's painful to go through those things. This man is, is, is having his body destroyed. He may have ended up dying because of this. But I hope and pray that this man ultimately turned back to God and, and, and in, in repentance confessed his sin and became part of this body again. I don't, I don't know, but I hope that was the case. But for us, there's going to be things in our lives where we need to confess it. We need to repent of it and we need to come back. And and I hope and pray that it never comes to the situation where we have to kick somebody out of church. But if we do, it's always, always out of love and hoping that they'll come back to the Savior. That's the purpose of church discipline. It's not vindictive. It's not mean-spirited. It's always pushing them out so so that Satan could have his way with them and so that God could use Satan to have his way with them so that ultimately they come back to Christ. That's the point. Now, a couple of other things I want you to say. Look at verse 11 with me. In verse 11, he says, "Sorry, but, I, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with a so-called brother if he is an immoral person. Let that sink in for just a moment. This may be the person who's leading the music, maybe the person standing in the pulpit, it may be the person uh, teaching your Sunday school class, this is a person who is a so-called believer. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing, ultimately, is what he is. He says he's part of the family, but he's not. How do we know that? Because he has unrepentant sin in his life. And, and it's not just that he, he has sin, but he's been told that he has sin, and he doesn't care. He says, I'm going to be Lord of my life if you're Lord of your life, Jesus is not Lord of your life. And if Jesus is not Lord of your life, you're not a Christian. I don't care how often you're here. That's what scripture teaches us. And so he says, actually, I wrote to you not to associate with a so-called brother. And then he gives us some, some examples. He says, if he's an immoral person, that's that same word for porneia. If, if, he, if he's got this wickedness in him, or he's covetous, or he's an idolater, or he's a reviler, which means he likes to fight, or he's a drunkard, or he's a swindler. Folks, please understand, I'm not giving you these words. Scripture, God is giving you these words. If, if you see a person who claims to be a believer, and they're immoral, and they're covetous, and they're an idolater, and they're a reviler, and they're a drunkard, and a swindler, they're not a believer. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters who they are. And we need to understand that. And, and we need to be willing within the body of Christ to judge people. Because if, I, if, if someone, let's say it's me. Okay, I'll just put the, all the spot on me. If someone comes to me and they say, Jamie, we see that you're an immoral person. We see that you're covetous. I, we see that, you, that you're an idolatry. You put things above God. And, and, you, and you like to go out and fight. And you go out and get drunk every weekend. And, and you like to cheat people and steal from people. That means I'm not a believer. And you have a responsibility in the body of Christ to come and present that to me for the purpose of bringing me back to God. And if I I do, if I repent of that, then you've won me. You've won the brother. But if you don't, then we must kick that person out. It doesn't matter who they are. We have to. Because the body is what's holy. The body is what's important. Jesus died for the body. And he doesn't want all this rampant sin in his body, in his bride. So the church has an obligation to judge within the body. And because of arrogance, which we saw in verse 2, this church wasn't willing to do it. And so the arrogance was really the problem in the Corinthian church. We saw last chapter that it was causing all these fractions in the church. Now we see that even when there's rampant sin that everybody knows about, even in the community, we don't care either. We're just going to sweep that under the rug too. So arrogance was their problem. And this this church was just overlooking. So it wasn't just that this man and this woman were having this illicit affair. The church was complicit in the whole thing. The church was accepting sin. We cannot do that. Because sin is ultimately what leads people to hell. Sin is ultimately what leads people to death. And we cannot be condoning of that in any way, shape, or form. Now, does that mean that the world's going to look at us and they're going to hate us? Absolutely. They are. They are. They put Jesus on a cross. Do you think they're going to love us? No. Because we're going to have to stand against things. We're going to have to stand against homosexuality. We're going to have to stand against abortion. We're going to have to stand against covetousness. We're going to have to stand against drunkenness. We're going to have to stand against cheating and stealing and lying. We're going to have to stand on the things that Jesus stood on. And that's going to cause the world to hate us and maybe even kill us. But that is who the church is. That's what we have a responsibility to do. And the reason that the church in America, the reason that the church in the, in the world is not growing is because we're not willing to stand on that. Did you hear me? We are not willing to stand on that. And so we have rampant sin in our, in our churches. And, and please don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about Rush's Creek necessarily. I'm talking about the church universal. I'm talking about the body of Christ. And so what we have is we have rampant sin and a sin that we know about and we're not willing to go lovingly to that person to try to restore them. And so because of that, the world looks at us and they say, you're no different than me. There's no truth to this Christianity thing. It makes no difference in your life. And so I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And they're going to happily march directly into hell. And it's all because we're not willing to take a stand on the things that God takes a stand on. Now, that being said, it's not our responsibility, look at verse 10 and verse 13, to judge those outside the church. Verse 10, he says, I did not, all mean that, um, I did not at all mean with the immoral person of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers, or the idolaters, for, when you, for, for then you would have to go out of the world. Jesus said we have to be in the world, but not of the world. We have to live and work and, and, and have everything that we do inside of this world, this wicked world that we live in. But we don't have a responsibility to judge them. Look at verse 13. But those who are outside, God judges. But for us, we need to remove the wicked man from, our, from, our, from, our, um, from ourselves, from among ourselves. This is one of the most difficult things, I think, that we have to do. And I, and I think this is why you nobody know, talks about church discipline is because we have to make a distinction between those who are of the family of God and then we have to be willing to say everybody else is of the family of Satan. And nobody wants to say that because that ultimately condemns them to hell. And so we have to be able to draw this line. And for those of us who are part of the body of Christ, if we say that we're believers, then we have a responsibility to, to bring each other along, that we're working towards this, this sanctification, this holiness, this process of becoming more and more like God every day. We have a responsibility for that. And, and those who are outside the church, we don't need to be condemning them. God's going to take care of that. What do we need to do? We need to be taking care of ourselves so much that they're looking in saying, what is different about those people? And then we have an opportunity to share with them. You know what's different about me? I'm I'm a liar just like you are. I'm an idolater just like you are. I've taken God's name in vain just like you have. I've I've looked with lust just like you have. So what's different? You know what's different? Jesus saved me. Jesus paid for my sins. Jesus has washed me in the blood of Christ. And now every second of every day, I'm constantly trying to repent and come closer and closer and closer back to him. That's what's different between me and you. That's what we're to tell the world. But they're never going to ask the question if they don't see a difference. So in conclusion, let me just ask you a few questions. Let me bring it home. Is there sin in our church? Is there sin in your life? Is there sin that that you're harboring, that you're hiding, that needs to be dealt with? If it is, today's the day that we need to get rid of that. We need to just lay it at the foot of the cross. And, And if you know of someone else that has sin in their life, why are you not going to that person and sharing with them, do you not love them? Because that's ultimately what it's about. You don't want them to come back to Christ. You want them to die in their sins. You want them to possibly have to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of their body. Folks, that's not love at all. So is there a sin in our church? Secondly, if we see sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, are we willing to confront them with the truth of the gospel in love with the hope of restoring them? Are we willing to do that? That takes some guts. It really does. Because what you have to do is you have to look somebody dead in the eye and say, there's sin in your life. It is, it's just like Nathan. Nathan came before King David. And then he made up this story about this little, this little lamb that everybody loved and they, they slept with him and they, everything. And, and someone came in and took all their wealth and, and hid it and basically just slaughtered this little lamb. And then at the end of it, he looked. The king, the most powerful man probably in the world at that time, he looked him in the eyes and said, you are the man. Do we have the guts to do that? And the third question, <coughs> excuse me, if we have sin in our lives and someone comes to us and looks us in the eyes and says, you're the man, are you going to repent? And are you going to humble yourselves and, and, and confess that, that, that that's true? And are you going to come back to God? Or are you going to be just like this man who says, I don't care? I'm going to be arrogant. I'm going to, I'm going to set the rules for my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the church says. I don't care what God says. It can't be that way. If someone comes to you and brings you your sin, you have to be willing to repent. But the cool thing is, if you'll do it first, they'll never have to come. They'll never have to do that. So stand with me. I'm going to invite the, um, the musicians to come forward. I want to have an, off, uh, an invitation this, this, this morning. And here, here's what I want to do. If there's sin in your life, no one knows it better than you. And and I'll be honest with you. When I was preparing for this this message, God was wearing me out because there's things in my life, there's things in all of our lives that are wrong, and we know that. If there's sin in your life, today is the day that you can fix that. Even more importantly, if, if you're not a believer, then your whole nature is sin. It's who you are. Jesus said today is the day of salvation. You can come to him today and he will wash you clean. Though your sins be like scarlet, they can be white as snow. That's what scripture says. And if you need to join this church, if you want to be a part of us to go out and take this gospel to the world and to be a distinct, clean, holy version of what true Christianity is supposed to look like, join our church. Join us and go with us. Let's sing.